we're in week two. What we've been doing is, uh, as we've done before here at Coastal in this series, is we're using movies uh, simply as a hook, a uh, springboard. Talk about truth, point people uh, to Jesus. Last week, uh, we used, we're doing something different this year, though, by the way. Uh, we've done this series several times. Typically, what we do is uh, use um, current movies. Uh, that people are seeing in the theater, but I got bored with that this year, and so I decided uh, to pick my own all-time favorite movies. And uh, so last week was uh, Rocky, and uh, we talked about David and Goliath. Uh, Today's movie, of course, is The Godfather. Uh, Raise your hand if you've seen any of The Godfather movies. Really, the better question is, raise your hand if you've never seen any of The Godfather movies. Okay, there was a... man. Shame, shame on you. There's a bunch of women, I will say, in the second service that said that. I have a, you know, I have a real hard time saying which of all of the movies that I've picked, you know, for this series over this, you know, five or six week series, which one of these movies is my all time favorite. But there's no doubt that The Godfather would definitely be in the running. Now, I'm not exactly sure when I first saw the movie The Godfather, but there really is just something about. Uh, men, particularly in our obsession with the Godfather movies. Um, and In fact, to prove that, maybe you even remember the current movie, uh, or not current, but it was a little while back, uh, You've Got Mail uh, with Meg Ryan and T- Tom Hanks, when, when they were actually discussing this, this very thing. And, and Meg's character, you know, uh, confronts uh, Tom's character about, well, so, you know, what's up? What's up with men and their obsession with the Godfather? And so Tom's character goes on to explain it and uh, how the Godfather really answers all of the questions of life. And, um, and so you might remember some of the dialogue. He says, uh, you know, what should I pack for my summer vacation? Leave the gun. Take the cannoli. Come on, God. You don't know this. Okay. Uh, you know, you already saw this one. You know, what day of the week is it? Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Wednesday. Anyway. Um, and then at the end, he says, uh, really, the answer to your question is go to the mattresses because you're at war. And uh, then he says, remember, it's not personal. It's business. All that comes from the Godfather. Now, I don't know if I would go as far to say that all of life's questions are answered from the Godfather, but if there is a Godfather marathon on TV, even though I own all the movies, I am going to be watching it. Now, not only is the Godfather in every list of all-time top movies, but it is always, always in the top five of every list, and it is number one in many of those lists. Uh, The Godfather Part 2 is seen by most movie critics as the best sequel in movie history with uh, Weekend at Bernie's 2 coming in a close second. uh, I was actually thinking about that this weekend because there was actually a bunch of uh, a bunch of good movies on this weekend, and I was thinking about like sequels, you know, and you know what what sequels were some of the best. The worst sequel of all time is Weekend at Bernie's Part Two. I I have to confess I've seen that. Don't go see it. It is awful. Anyway, um, on Rotten Tomatoes, some of you use that, you know, as a judge of movies that you see or don't see. Um, the Godfather actually received a perfect. favorable rating from all the critics. The entire series, the trilogy, three-part trilogy of the Godfather movies, 
uh, was nominated for 29 Academy Awards. The trilogy won nine different awards, two Best Picture Awards for The Godfather and Godfather Part Two. Now, unless you were a feral child raised by wolves in the woods, The Godfather movies follow the fictional Corleone Mafia family through the course of its history in the United States and back in their homeland in Sicily. It is based on a novel by the same name by Mario Puzo, directed by Francis Ford, who? Coppola. uh, Starring some of the biggest names in the history of movies. James Caan, Robert Duvall, Diane Keaton, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Marlon Brando. I mean, I could keep going on and on and on. Now, just like last week, there's a lot of different um, themes in these movies. And I could go a lot of different ways and we could discuss a lot of different things today. But to me, uh, the Godfather movies really are all about the corrupt, sinful nature of man. And our search for something more, something greater. You know, several verses come to mind uh, when I think about the Godfather uh, trilogy. And they all have to do with who we are left to ourselves. They they all have to do with our our sinfulness and and the results of our sin. Romans 6.23, for example, for the wages of sin is what? Death. And oh my goodness, you see that played out. Over and over and over again in these movies. And then I love Numbers uh, 32, 23. It says, but if you fail to do this, you'll be sinning against the Lord. And then listen to this part. This last part is probably what you might have heard growing up maybe from your parents. It says, and you may be sure that your sin will what? Will find you out. In other words, listen, whatever choices you make now, it'll catch up to you. Your decisions you make in life, they, they, will, they, will, they will catch up with you. They will hunt you down. And then Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Listen, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. We all reap what we sow. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Now, I mean, think about it for a second. In, in every great uh, movie or TV series about the mafia, okay, whether, and there's, there's been a lot of them, right? I mean, Goodfellas, I, I love the, uh, the Untouchables, that's a great one. Uh, the Sopranos, The Godfather, Casino, The Departed, The Road to Perdition, uh, Donnie Brasco, on and on and on and on. Eventually, let me ask you something. Eventually, what happens to every member of the mafia in every movie, spoiler alert, they all what? Man, they all die. I mean, seriously, it, it, it catches up to every single one of them, no matter how much they enjoy, as the Bible says, the pleasure of sin for a season. It all catches up to them, and they all either wind up in prison or dead or in prison dead, okay? They reap destruction. They sow to the sinful nature and they reap destruction. The wages of sin really is death. But for the Godfather movies, to me, it's a little bit more than just that. Because you also have this, um, I don't know, this tragic component. 
There, there is this, this search for something more. This search, you know, for something greater. And uh, in the beginning, you know, maybe, sure, it's just the, the brutal search for survival. As it flashes back to uh, Vito Corleone growing up in, in Sicily and coming to America. And man, just, you know, scratching and clawing his way to the top. Striving to, uh, uh, to provide for his family and uh, chasing after the American dream. But it's more than that. There's also this search for uh, redemption. And, and you see that played out throughout all the Godfather movies as, you know, Vito Corleone passes on, you know, passes the baton to Michael. Michael becomes the Godfather. And he's got this desire to clean up the family business, right? And he talks about it. You hear him talk about it, you know, with his wife or when they're engaged early on. And then later, you know, it's like he wants to clean up the family business. He wants to go legitimate. But, but without fail, it always just seems to be just out of his reach. And over and over and over again, the decisions of his past and the sins of his family and the choices that he make, they always come back to haunt him. And, and he's this classic, tragic example of a Proverbs 14, 12 that says this. It says, there is a way that seems, there, there's a path before each person that seems right. Okay, in other words, in some translation it actually says, there is a way that seems right to a man. In other words, left to ourselves, okay, apart from God, we have a choice to make, which way we're going to go. And typically, we all choose to go, left to ourselves, away without God. And at first, it seems like, well, this might be the right path. And it says here, though, but it ends in what? It ends in death. Now, here's what I know about everybody in this room today. We all want to be happy. Now, you can, you can put whatever label you want to on that, okay? We could call it uh, purpose. You're all searching for purpose, for meaning, significance, fulfillment, joy. We're all searching for happiness. In fact, you know, ask your five-year-old today on the way home after church what he or she wants for lunch. Chances are they'll even respond that they want what kind of meal? A happy meal, Right? I mean, it's almost like it is, it is hardwired in our soul. It's as though there is this huge hole in our soul. And we are all desperately trying to find something, anything, to fill it. Now, as a follower of Jesus, I happen to believe that that desire that I'm talking about there, that, that strive, that, that search for meaning, that, that desire to find significance, whatever you want to call it, I believe that that was actually given to you by God. Because God actually says, hey, listen, if you will seek after me, you'll find me. If you'll search for me with all your heart, you'll find me. In fact, in Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says this. He has planted what? Eternity in the human heart. In other words, 
deep in your heart, deep in the human heart, we all know there is something more to life. God put that there. Now, you might not admit that in a discussion with coworkers. That might not come out in a, you know, on a round of golf or, you know, in a debate with friends. But here's what I believe. Late at night, when there is nobody else around and it's just you and your thoughts, you know in your heart there is something more to life. You know there's something bigger. You know there's something greater than yourself. Now the problem though is just like Michael Corleone we all end up going our own path and we look for that in all the wrong places. See, we're still like that five-year-old looking to find uh, happiness in a box of toys. And so we chase after stuff. We chase after people. We chase after power. We chase after money. We chase after sex. And it eludes us. It's just out of our reach. And I don't think it's because we don't want it enough or because we aren't willing to pay the price. We're just selling our soul for the wrong things. And some of you have wound up paying a higher price than you ever thought you would in your search for it to fill that, that hole. It wound up costing you relationships, a marriage, your integrity, your family, and you paid a price higher than you ever thought you would. And yet it eludes you. Because just like Michael Corleone, just like Solomon, we're going to talk about him in just a moment. You think that it is found in like the good life or the American dream. And so, man, what you see is this mad dash of people just scraping, just striving to touch, just to get a touch of it, a taste of it. But then it always leaves you feeling empty. It always leaves you just wanting more. You're never satisfied. So what happens? Then you've got to go on, well, you've got to find the next thing or the next relationship or the next high or the next job or the next weekend, the next drink. It really doesn't matter what it is. And, and, and if there's a guy in all the Bible where you see that right there that I've just described played out and, and who reminds me of the Godfather, it really is King Solomon. King Solomon is whose son? David. Okay? And David, it, it, I mean, Solomon really is remembered for a couple of things. One is his wisdom, and the other is his wealth. I mean, everybody would come from far and wide just to listen to his advice, just to seek his wisdom. 
And, and you see that obviously played out in the Godfather movies. He was also the richest guy who ever lived. He makes Bill Gates. I mean, whoever you think is the richest person in the world, some, you know, some oil sheik, whatever, he makes them like regular people. Like, he makes them look like you and me. I mean, he actually had every resource available to him. And then in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 2, this is what we're going to look at today, verse 1, he says this. I said to myself, come now, let's give pleasure a try. Let's look for what? What does he say? The good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. Some translations say vanity. Some say worthless. In other words, he said, hey, let's just play this one out. I mean, let's just see what it is that could fill up that hole in my heart. And then he goes out and as he says, he tried everything under the sun. And and the crazy thing is, and this is the guy who actually had enough money to pull that off. Okay? And so here's what we're going to do today. I want us to look at some of the things he tried. I want us to look at some of those good things that he sought after, you know, the it that he pursued. Here's my guess today is that many of you have tried these same things over and over and over again in your search for it, happiness, fulfillment. And you've found yourself empty, wanting more. So let's take a look at these five things. Uh, Verse 3 It says, he says, after much thought, I decided to cheer myself with what? Wine. Wine. Woohoo! Number one, wine, okay? Now, think about this for a second. I don't know how many of you are wine drinkers, alcohol drinkers. Uh, Not just any wine. This had to be the best wine that money could buy, okay? The good stuff, okay? Now, maybe at first, you know, in the beginning, again, the Bible talks about you know, the, the pleasure of sin for a season. Uh, Solomon looked like that old beer commercial you might remember. He used to always end with that statement. Um, it doesn't, what, get any better than this. You know, so maybe, maybe that's how, you know, he looked and how he felt in the beginning. As if, you know, kicking back with a cold one is the very apex of all that life has to offer. Now, let, let me just clear up some confusion here. Nothing wrong in and of itself with wine, right? I mean, nothing in and of itself wrong with drinking. Uh, is getting drunk the Bible uh, has a problem with, that God has a problem with. Really, the whole issue is control. You know, at what point is the Holy Spirit no longer in complete control of your life? That You put any substance in your body that, uh, that the Holy Spirit can no longer be in complete control. And so, according to Solomon... He wound up saying, you know what, if this is as good as it gets, then I really don't have very much. Because this this doesn't do it. And there's a bunch of you here today, and I know some of your stories. And you say, yep, been there, done that. You know, because you were that person that, you know, could take a drink, but couldn't what? couldn't stop or if you were going to unwind you had to have a drink or some sort of substance you drank to 
forget, to escape. You know, some of you, if you're honest, you know, whatever the substance is, it really doesn't matter. You, you even found yourself, I mean, the reality is you, you made choices. You literally, I mean, you know, you, you wouldn't say this out loud, but the truth is, looking back, you know you went, you know, whatever, alcohol, drinking, drugs, family. Alcohol, drinking, drugs, substance, my marriage. And that played itself out. And at the end of the day, you, you, you discovered that, man, all that that seemed like such a part of the good life really didn't alleviate any of my problems. It only what? That's right, only made things worse. I love, uh, I love this one married guy's honest explanation of why he finally quit drinking. This is what he said. Whenever I would drink, it would make me see double and act single. And uh, he knew it was time to quit. Um, number two, Solomon goes on, work, work. In other words, he decided to fill up that hole in his heart with, with work. Look at verses four and six. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself, planted vineyards. I made gardens, parks, planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to grow, uh, to, to water groves of flourishing trees. In other words, he decided he's going to work his way into happiness and fulfillment and meaning. How many of you can say, yeah, I've been there, done that. Really thought that that was the path to it. I'd find my fulfillment in my job, in my career. In fact, you know, it's funny. The word parks here in verse 5 literally means paradise. So it's not just that he went to, you know, Walmart and got a you know, swing set in a box and put it up in his backyard. He, he literally engineered elaborate parks that were a paradise on earth. First Kings 9 tells us, listen to this. He had 550 officials in charge of just supervising all of the other men who are working on all of his projects. He rebuilt entire towns. He, and, and I'm sure at the end of the day, again, by the way, nothing wrong in and of themselves with any one of these things necessary. Nothing wrong with work and career. In fact, there, there's honor in, in that, in, in pursuing a career and finding your fa- uh, providing for your family, using your gifts and talents. I'm sure he had a, the feeling of uh, productivity and accomplishment. But in the end, he wrote, if I'm looking for work and productivity to be it and provide me with you know, meaning and fulfillment, this isn't it either. And it all ends up feeling meaningless. So he goes another direction, and I'm calling this number three, whim. Whim. This really has to do with number four, just how wealthy he was. But verse seven says, I bought male and female slaves. I had other slaves who were born in my house. In other words, when you read the rest of this, he had people waiting on him hand and foot. He never had to lift a finger. He not only had all of his need, all of his wants met, all of his needs met, but every whim he might have. In fact, the Bible tells us that he actually had snow. Snow brought down from Mount Hermon so that he could have cold drinks in, in, in the summertime, okay? It's the first, like, ice maker, the first ice box, okay? He, he, he lived in the lap of luxury. He had 12,000 horses. He could go, come and go as he pleased wherever he wanted to. 
okay? And after this, he moved on to silver and gold. Number four, wealth. Verse eight, I amassed silver and gold for myself, the treasure of kings and provinces. Chapter 10 of 1 Kings tells us that he actually got 25 tons of gold every year. He had so much gold that everything in the palace, all the plates, all the glasses, all the silverware were all made of pure gold. His, he had so much wealth, the Bible says that um, silver in Jerusalem became as common as stones. Chapter 10 of, of 1 Kings, verse 23 says, King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings on the earth. So, if winning the lottery could produce true happiness and fulfillment, if having your every whim come true would be it, then Solomon would have had it. But just like everything else, all the money in the world lacked the real power to add any meaning to his life. The rest of verse 8 talks about how he had men and women singers, you know, at his, at his beck and call. In other words, he had the best entertainment that money could buy. But then at the end of the day, he still felt empty. Verse uh, number five, women, women. You know, man really hasn't changed much in 4,000 years, have we? I mean, seriously. And you, you could put men, women, relationships. Honestly, you just put sexual fulfillment. That's really what we're talking about here. Um, 1 Kings 11.3 says that Solomon had 700 wives, 300 concubines. He basically had 1,000 women available to him at any time, day or night, any number, any time, to fulfill whatever erotic sexual fantasies that he might have. And yet, listen to me, all of the erotic pleasures that they could provide, he says, left him empty, bored, and even more frustrated than when he began. And some of you know exactly what he's talking about. You know, in your mind, you just thought, well, you know, if I could just have that relationship with that person, you know, and, and, then, and then it doesn't quite work out, and then it's the next person and the next person. You know, what were the results of all of this? Look at verses 9 and 11 there of chapter 2. Solomon put it this way. He says, sure, I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. And all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work. And all this was the reward for my labor. Yet, listen to this. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was what? Meaningless. He says it's just a, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Man, that last verse right there, that could really be the commentary at the end of Godfather 3. The whole you know, trilogy, Michael's life. You can hear him just saying these very words. Yet when I looked at everything my hands had done, everything I tried to achieve, everything was meaningless. I was just chasing after the sun. I didn't gain anything. 
You know, Solomon was the ruling king of the most powerful nation in the world. He'd become more powerful than any other king before him. He literally had anything and everything he could ever want out of life. He had prosperity. He had power. He had pleasure. Those things that the world says make up the good life. He had it. And he said, listen, I've been there and done that. And the payoff for that is not what's promised. He had real estate. He had palaces, gardens, park. He tried sex, the best food, the best wine, the best parties. He said, at the end of the day, it didn't add anything to my life. I just felt like I was chasing after the wind. No satisfaction. Now, I want to pull everything together today. And I want to give you two quick lessons for life that I think we could take home out of this story and out of Solomon's life. Lesson number one, pleasure within God's will is God's idea. Pleasure within God's will is God's idea. Guys, listen, Christianity, following Jesus is not meant to be anti-fun. Listen, I don't think anybody on the planet has more fun than I do. It'd be scary if I started drinking. I mean, like, I'm, you know, listen to this. First, First Timothy 6.17 says, tells us that we serve a God, listen to this, you ready for this? Who richly provides us with everything for our what? Our enjoyment. Man, there's nothing wrong with wanting to enjoy life. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the things, the stuff that God has provided for us as long as we recognize that that's all that is. It's just stuff. It's just things. It is the creation, not the creator. And and, and as long as we recognize that God's will and God's way provides the very best that life has to offer. In John 15, 10, Jesus put it this way. He said, if you obey my commands and you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my father's commands and I remain in his love. And here's why. Verse 11, he said, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy will be complete. What's he saying? In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, you want to know joy, real joy, real satisfaction? You want to know what it is? He says, you know, obey my will and my plan and walk according to my path. You know, that, that's where real love is found. It's found in a relationship. You know, it is such a shame today that Satan has convinced so many people that the way to be fulfilled, the way to find it, the way to fill that hole in your soul is just to circumvent God. It's to circumvent God's ways and God's God's word and God's plan. That is such a lie. Because when you step over that line, that's when you start to find unhappiness. Listen, some of you today are believers. And you have already entered into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But but one of the reasons why right now, here and now, you might not be experiencing that, that sense of fulfillment or happiness. Or maybe you're going through a period of depression or anger. You know what it might be? You're chasing after something other than God right now in your life. And you stepped out of his will for your life. When you do that, that's when you find unhappiness. Satan is a master at always making the grass on the other side of the fence look more appealing. 
always look greener. But listen, a loving God, a holy and loving God, put that fence there in order to protect you and guide you in the path of righteousness and peace and joy. Listen, I've said this a million times if I've not said it once. The grass is not greener on the other side of the fence. The grass is greener where you what? Where you water it. You know, and if your relationship right now with with your spouse is not what it should be, then you start watering it. Listen, our God wants us to enjoy life, but enjoyment, fulfillment is found in following his plan. Lesson number two, ultimately the pleasures of this world will never satisfy. They don't satisfy. Now they're good, they're fun. You know, but what happens is, you might want to write this down off to the side. The law, the law of increased appetite and diminishing returns always takes over. Increased appetite and diminishing returns. In other words, whatever it is that you're chasing after other than God, it might feel good for the moment. I mean, again, let's lay our cards on the table this morning Sin feels good in the moment, doesn't it? Absolutely. You know, in fact, again, Hebrews 11.25 talks about the passing pleasure of sin. So whatever it is you're chasing after, it might provide a momentary high. But the high always wears off. Now, here's where this law comes into effect. And then to get that same high... That same sense of fulfillment, it always requires less or more. More, right. And then the high wears off quicker. That's right, faster. It does. It doesn't last. You know, our world just promises this big payoff. Circumvent God, go your way. But it always It's just a cheap substitute. It doesn't last. You know it. I know it. That's why the Apostle John said this. He said, listen, don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world. And again, what what is he talking about there? He's talking about, you know, putting the world and the things of the world in place of a love relationship with God. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father can't be in him. Why? Because everything in the world, you know, and listen to this list. Boy, this is the Godfather. The cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does. It doesn't come from the Father. It comes from the world. And he says, all of that, It's all going to pass away. But the one who what? Who does the will of God lives forever. I want to close by asking you this question today. Who or what are you chasing after? I mean, that's that's an important question. Solomon spent a time chasing after the wrong things. Michael Corleone spent a lifetime chasing after the wrong things. It's one of the most important questions you will ever answer. What are you chasing after? 
to find meaning, to find happiness in life. Ultimately, you know what Solomon discovered? Deep within your heart, there is a huge God-sized hole that only he can fill. And you can try, you can try to fill that hole with all kinds of other things. You can chase after relationships, sex, money, power, drugs, alcohol, work, pleasure, career. At the end of the day, or worse yet, at the end of your life, you're going to discover that none of those things fill that hole in your soul. And by the way, I'm not talking about religion either. Religion won't satisfy. You know, it's interesting. You actually see that played out in The Godfather as well. You see the corruption of of man trying to approach God on man's terms, religion. The only thing that will ever satisfy that longing in your heart and satisfy the holy justice of God because of our sin is a personal relationship with God through faith in his one and only son, Jesus. That's it. You know what? You can have that today. You know what? It's it's not, I don't, regardless of what you've heard or sadly come to believe because of some misinformed believers. You don't have to clean up your, your life before you come to God. You don't have to clean up your life before you come to Coastal, by the way. You, know, you come to him just as you are, and he loves you and accepts you just as you are. He made you, he created you as a plan for your life, but he loves you too much to let any of us stay that way. He fills you with his spirit. Jesus lives within you and he starts doing the changing. Listen, we're all in the same boat. You know, we're all just forgiven sinners. You know, we waste so much time pointing fingers and judging one another when none of that really matters because before God, which is the only standard, the only real judgment, we've all messed up. But here's the beauty. When God looks at me now, it's not because of anything I've I've done, only because of my faith in Jesus. That's it. When he sees me, you know what he says? Perfect. Beautiful. Now, is there still changing that needs to take place on the outside? Yep. You bet. I'm on that journey. I'm on that path. Not the path that I think is right, but God's path. And I'm just becoming more and more day by day like he already sees me. That's called grace. That's the gospel. 
And so this morning, if you're ready to come home, if you're ready to put your faith in Christ, you can do that too. All the rest of it, just chasing after the wind and meaningless. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, today, God, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that, um, I thank you for Jesus, God. I, I just, I believe that throughout this day, there have been people here who are ready to come home. They're ready to end this crazy, crazy search and, and strain and struggle of trying to find anything or everything to fill that hole. I pray today you would just open your heart and realize that's only going to be found in Jesus. Open up your heart today and receive him by faith. It's not based on you or what anything you do or stop doing or start doing. It's a long list of do's and don'ts. Stop all of that. That's religion. Cry out to your heavenly father and say, God, I believe. I believe that Jesus really is your son. I believe that he went to a cross for my sin. He took the punishment. He took the pain. He paid the price that I could never, ever pay. But death could not contain him. He is more powerful than sin or death. And he rose from the dead in victory. And he is alive. And today... put my faith in that truth. I turn my back on my sin and my former way of life and today I turn towards you. I ask Jesus to come into my life to forgive me of all of my sin, to be my Savior and to be my Lord. And Father, for the rest of my days, I just want to follow Jesus. I don't understand all of what that means or implies today, but I believe. I believe. Father, thank you. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for the clean conscience. Thank you for peace and meaning and fulfillment and joy and satisfaction. Thank you for adopting us forever into your family. Thank you for securing for us a home in heaven for all eternity based on our faith in Christ and what he did for us. And Father, I pray for our church that we would be the church that shares that message of redemption and hope and that we're willing to use anything that we can to point people to Jesus, even something as silly as a movie. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name.